All right. Well, good morning again. And so we are so glad you guys are here with us in person or online. We're so glad you're tuning in online. I hope online's working. I never know if online's working. So um, we're just guessing I'm talking to people on the camera. So we're so glad you guys are here. Hey, we just want to take a second, and many of you guys are aware of this, but we want to take a second and just kind of explain something to you. Uh, Nathan right here, who's been our worship leader for 10 years. Um, yeah, so <laughs> congratulations. You get 10 years. Yeah, all right. So he's been with us since the beginning, and as many of you guys know, a couple years ago, him and his wife uh, went to Africa, and they brought home two of their kids, uh, adopted them, and they are going back again. Uh, here and they actually they've been waiting for all this craziness in our world right now they got the call so they're actually leaving on tuesday right and they will be going back for about eight weeks to bring back lola and i can't remember who else what's the other guy's name you're bringing back um joseph you're bringing back joseph as well and so uh they are going there they're gonna be there for about eight weeks and so things will look a little different around here you won't see them for eight weeks at least um and so their family would love your prayers during that time uh, many of you guys have supported them already through so many different things, and I'm sure Nathan's going to say some stuff here at the end of the service, but today, afterwards, if you want to say something to him and his family um, as they are heading out this week, I'm sure they would appreciate it, and we appreciate all that Nathan's doing and the amazing thing that they're doing right now for these kids, um, their kids, and, and also the orphanage in Malawi is awesome, and so we just want to thank him, but make sure you say something to him on their way out, all right? Thanks. All right. If you're familiar with me or Nathan, both of us hate being the center of attention completely, which is weird that we're in front of people every week, so I'm sure that was really awkward for him as much as it was for me sometimes. So uh, the other thing I want to announce real quick as we get started is just, you know, we're in this world where no matter what I say, I'm going to upset somebody or offend somebody, and I'm okay offending people. If you're familiar with this place, I don't care to offend people at all. Um, but so the big thing, the question mark is what do we do about the masks, you know, and so here's our policy, and it's real simple. Um, do what you want to do, and we are not going to police it. Um, we ask that you use good judgment. We ask that you be good citizens. We ask that you care about your neighbor. Um, and so with the mask, it's kind of the things. If you're vaccinated, as the CDC, as the governor said, um, you don't have to wear a mask indoors. My theory is everybody's vaccinated now. And so uh, that's up to you guys to be socially responsible. And, and I say that, but I mean, what I mean by that is, be honest, too. Like, if you're not, okay, um, don't pretend like you are, okay? And so uh, we're not going to do that. It is up to you guys. At a certain point, as individual citizens, you have to be socially responsible for yourself, but also for loving your neighbor. And so if you want to wear a mask, that's great. If you get in here and you're uncomfortable, we will provide you with masks. Um, obviously, we're going to follow all the guidelines. So if anything gets worse again or they change policies, just be prepared. We're going to change our policy. Um, but that's the mask situation. And so anyway, so that's where it is. And if you have a problem with that, you can email April. Her email is april <laughs> at journeyshepherdsville.com. She'd be glad to talk to you about it. So, all right. So if you're a visitor, we're so glad you guys are here with us. We're wrapping up this human series we've been in for about five weeks now as we kind of head into the summer about what it means to be human. Uh, it is something that's important because we are all human. Uh, we've talked about the most intimate relationships, whether that's parenting. And last week we talked about or we talked about marriage a couple weeks ago. We talked about parenting last week. Uh, we talked about the idea of being light in the world. And today we're going to wrap up with something that's very important to us here at Journey, um, but it's also a big ask. You guys got um, cards on your way in, so hold on to those. If you didn't get a card, they're available at the welcome desk as well. And so if you're a visitor here, we are so glad you're here. Um, but primarily today we're going to be talking 
to people that attend Journey and call Journey their home. Um, hopefully, if you're a visitor, you hear something you like and you connect with, and you'd like to hear more about it and come back or tune in online some more. Um, and also, if you're not a follower of Christ today, I mean, hopefully you learn something because I think this idea that we're going to talk about today is important for all of us as human beings. But when it comes to those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, this isn't some crazy idea. This is central. This is core to the message of what it means to be a follower of Christ, what we're going to talk about today. And so when it comes to being human, in Jesus' eyes, there's a different way of seeing ourselves in the world and the way that we respond to things around us, the way that we are around other people. And that's just true. If you open the Gospels and you read this idea, and there's so much that the Bible tells us about God and Jesus and the divine, but there's also so much that it tells us about what it means to be human. And Jesus shows us a new way to be human. One of the interesting stories that take place starts it in Mark chapter 9, and Mark is one of the Gospels that's written about Jesus. And at this point in the, the, the story, um, he, he's several couple, a little bit into his ministry, and he's got these guys that are following him. And they're learning from him what it means not only to be connected to God, but also to each other and what it means to be human. And so in Mark chapter 9, we're going to see the verses that come on screen. It says this, after they arrived to Capernaum and settled in the house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? So one thing you have to understand is um, you can't say something around Jesus and not expect him to call you out on it at some point, right? You ever been like in the car and you hear your kids in the back seat talking about something and you're like, what were you just talking about? And they're like, nothing. You ever had those moments? Right. So this is like one of those moments where like they're busted because Jesus was listening. They just weren't aware of it. Verse 34, just like your kids would respond. But they didn't answer because they've been arguing about which of them was the greatest. <laughs> like, it's this weird thing. And so he sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him, and he said this. Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Now, this is so counter to our world, isn't it? This is so counter to our culture, right? And, and so here is Jesus, and he's saying, okay, listen, you guys were arguing about being the greatest, but if you truly want to be the greatest in his eyes of what it means to be human and in this kingdom, in this thing that he's building, he, he's just got this idea. He says, listen, if you want to be first, you actually have to be last. And if you want other people to look up to you and admire you rather than being someone that's always demanding of other people, you actually are the person that serves other people. But because we're human and they were human, they don't learn their lesson. And so literally one chapter later, which is a short period of time after this takes place, here's what happens in the next chapter. Start in verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Now, this doesn't say this, but the other name for them was the sons of thunder which is just a sweet name, right? It sounds like a cool band, all right? So the sons of thunder come over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in the places of honor next to you, one on the right and the other on the left. Now, remember what Jesus just said to them. Do you remember this? Like, they literally just had this conversation, when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, verse 41, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over people, and officials flaunt their authority over those who are under them. And we know that, right? Okay, that's the world we still live in. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone. And then here it is. 
this amazing verse. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now let's leave that verse up there for a second. For even the Son of Man. So when we think about Jesus, and I know a lot of us have different opinions on Jesus, but for those of us who are followers of Jesus, and even if you don't follow Jesus, you have to admit he's played a pretty important role in our world, right? And a lot of the things that we do in this culture, a lot of the things that were the guidelines for the creating of our country, a lot of the things that guideline the idea of Western culture, which is what we find ourselves a part of in the broader scheme of things, were brought on by some of the things that Jesus said and taught and did. And so regardless of what you think about Jesus personally as your Savior, here's what you have to admit. He might have been the most important human being to ever live. And he might have been the most influential human being to ever live. Now throw on that what we believe as Christians, that he's also divine and that he's connected to God in this way where they are one. And if the most important, most powerful, most influential person that ever lived says that even he didn't come to this world to be served, okay, but to serve, shouldn't that be kind of a guiding light for us as we live out our lives and as we learn to be human? In John 13, they, they still, like, they're still struggling with this. They can hear it as much as they want, but they're still struggling with this idea. And so in John 13, there's this interesting thing that, that happens. And Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry. He's about to go be um, betrayed. He's about to go to the cross and die. And then ultimately we believe that he's resurrected and all these amazing things come out of that. But at the end of his life, he's wanting to, to not only say, but to show them this really important thing. And in John chapter 13, verse 3, it, it says this. Jesus knew that the Father had given him power over everything. Now let's just stop and think about that. That if God exists and that Jesus is here as a representative of God, that he has been given power and authority over everything. Now, some of you in this room, me included, think we have power over everything, don't we? Right? You know those people, right? We think that we have power and authority to tell everybody what to do, and they're just going to do it because it's me and it's my voice, and I'm doing it, and I'm saying it. Jesus actually had this. And that he had come from God and was going back to God. And so during the meal, Jesus stood up and took out his outer clothing, taking a towel, he wrapped it around his waist. Then he poured water into a bowl and began to wash the followers' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, a couple things. Jesus knew he had all authority. The other thing, and I'm sure we've talked about this before and you've heard this from other people or read this, or if you haven't, this might be new information. See, in their world, it's very dirty. They don't have paved roads. They don't have paved sidewalks. They don't have shoes like we do in the sense of like closed shoes. So they walked around in sandals, and it was very hot, and it was clay, and it was dust, and it was dirt. And so they'd walk around, and it's also very hot where they live, so they're getting sweaty. Feet are gross. You guys know feet are gross. They're just disgusting. And my feet are really bad, and so they're like hobbit feet. And so they're, they're just this weird thing going on. And on top of the feet just being gross anyway— now you're talking about feet that are covered in dirt and clay and dust and sweat, and they didn't have toenail clippers, so let that run through your mind for a second. And so um, that doesn't come around for a long time. And so it's just gross. And so what they would do is when you would enter someone's house, one of the lowest servants, okay, so the lowest of the low, 
would be there and they would wash your feet so that you could enter the house. And Jesus in this moment, he's not just taking on the role of a servant. He's taking on a role. And so he's saying more with what he's doing than actually what he's saying. And and that's what important thing is we're always communicating things even if we're not talking. And he takes on the lowest positions within their culture. And he washes their feet, including Judas, who's going to betray him, including Peter, who's going to deny him, right? I mean, all of this context. And in verse 12, he says this. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and sat down again. And he asked them, do you understand what I've just done for you? And they didn't, and we don't still. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that is what I am. He's not misunderstood in who he is and the position that he carries in this world. And if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash each other's feet. I did this as an example so that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. A servant is not greater than his master. A messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And so Jesus, not only through his words, but also through his actions, he's setting this idea that the best way to be human in his eyes is to go and to serve other people, to go and be willing to to not ask what can be given to me, but what can I give to others? What can I do to make this world a better place? What can I do to help other people? What can I do? And just a little bit later down, he's going to do this verse, and don't put it up yet, but but he's going to say this thing. He's going to say, I give you a new command. Now, if you grew up in church like I did, you expect Jesus to give commands because that's what God does. He's bossy, right? And he gives commands and he gives rules and all of these things. And see, some of you, that's your whole thing, isn't it? Like you expect God to be bossy. You expect God to give rules. Of course, I'm going to say that he gives you a new rule because that's what you do. And you follow these rules and you follow these rules. You're a good person. You don't follow these rules. You're a bad person. And that's the message that most of us believe when it comes to God and it comes to Jesus. So, of course, Jesus is going to give us a new command. Now, when we think about the Bible, we think about how many commands there are. Now, don't don't think too deeply, but when I say how many commands are there, how many are there? Eleven. Okay, good number. All right. Wrong, but good number. All right. Yeah. So we say ten is what we think of because there's the Ten Commandments. We make a big deal about the Ten Commandments, and there's a movie about it if you haven't seen it and all this stuff. So there's these Ten Commandments. But what we have to understand is there were actually 611 or 613 commands that are given in the Old Testament. So here's what I'm going to go ahead and say. I'm just going to go ahead and bet that nobody in this room has even kept the 10. So the chances of you keeping 613 is just, we'll just go ahead and pretend like that doesn't exist, right? And so Jesus says, I give you a new command. Now, earlier in the text, what we see is he's already broken down 613 to 2. And he says this. He literally says that all of these commands that have been given, these are the two most important commands you can follow. And it's love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus is going to do something really interesting. He's actually going to take even the two and take it just down to one. And in verse 34, he says this. I give you a new command. Love each other. You must love each other as I have loved you. Now. 
that sounds really good. And it sounds like it would actually be simple to follow, right? Because 613, there's no way, right? Okay, 10, some of you have broke 10 already today. Not all of them. If you've murdered somebody, please report yourself. But, okay, we've broken a lot of these rules, okay? And then we're like, okay, well, let's just love each other. I can do that. Really? Because let's be honest, this whole series has been talking about, like, we are complex, interesting, frustrating clods of dirt, aren't we? Right? That's what we are. We are so interesting and frustrating and people will drive you crazy. And the other thing is this, is that he doesn't just say just love people. He says to love people as he has loved us. Now, take everybody else out of the situation and just think about yourself, okay? And be real honest. Be real honest. How difficult are you to love? Now, the first response is that I'm easy to love. No, come on. You know, if you're really honest, that it's difficult, isn't it? And and so here's this thing where he's like, okay, how has he loved you? He's loved you completely. He's loved you fully. He's loved you in spite of you. He's loved you regardless of what you've done. He's loved you regardless of what you've said. He's loved you because of who he is more than because of who you are. And so that's the lesson, is that we are to love people regardless of who they are, but because of who we are. And we are the body of Christ who loves the world. And so he says all of this. And so I'm giving you this new command. At the end of Jesus' ministry, he's getting ready to leave, and there's this thing called the Great Commission. And if you're familiar with this, it's in Matthew chapter 28, and and we we like to talk about this verse, but it's this idea where at the end of his thing, he's he's already risen from the grave. He's already done the most amazing thing we can think of that's changed everything for everybody. He's standing there. He looks at his disciples, and he says this idea of all authority, again, all authority in heaven and earth has come to me. And so I want you to go out into the world and tell people about what I've done. And then he has this interesting verse, ready? In verse 20, it says this, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. But it's interesting because in all of the gospels, we only have one command that Jesus gives. And what is that command? To love one another. Jesus only gives one command that's ever been recorded that we see, at least in the text. Now, me have said some other things, but they didn't write it down. And so in Matthew's context, when he's writing this gospel, I mean, he's thinking of this. Peter, who was there that day, he later in the letters that he will write, he'll say simply, for you are called to do good as Christ has done good. Now, one of the things that we know about human beings is this, is that when it comes to love, there's several different types of love, and hopefully you love your wife differently than you love tacos, and you love you know, me more differently than you love your wife and tacos, hopefully. But, um, you know, there's this interesting idea. But what we know about people is one of the most interesting things is one of the best ways to show that you love a person, right, is to do something for them, to serve them. And there's this book written about love languages, and we all have different love languages. But, but here's the thing. All of those love languages that essentially come down to the idea of giving of yourself for that person, of serving that person. 
And Jesus creates this idea where it's not about us. It's not about us being first. It's about considering what other people need. And it's not always about trying to have my needs met, but it's about what can I give for this person? What can I do for this person? One of the things that's interesting is, see, as Christians, we're not called to be consumers. We're called to be contributors. And so the idea is you don't come in and you don't become the body of Christ just simply because of what Jesus can do for you. You also become that so that what you can give back to the world, that you can give back to the people around you. Peter will go on to write that you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are people belonging to God. Now, one of the things I find interesting, and if you're in this camp, just know that I don't mean to offend you, but um, a lot of times when people come to churches or even come to our church to visit, they'll say things like, I just can't find a church that meets my needs. Well, you're, you're probably asking the wrong question because you've been to 14 churches in town and there's nobody that meets your needs. And what you've, you're saying is that it's all about me and what you can give me rather than what can I contribute to give back to the world give back to the body of Christ. As a follower of Christ, it's not always what can I get, it's what can I give. And see, we need your gifts. We need your talents. We need your abilities. And here's the thing, we need what you can give. We need your time. We need your talent. We need your resources. The other thing that we've talked about a lot, I mean, this whole pandemic thing and coming out of it, whatever, and, you know, the other thing is this. You don't attend church you are the church, right? This is just a thing that we do. This is not church. This is a gathering of the church in an assembly. It's in a place. You're, you are the church. And so wherever you go, you take the church with you. You, you take a piece of the body of Christ with you. You take your t- gifts and your talents and your abilities with you. And so if this is your church, so to speak, and this is where you worship, this is where you grow, we need the gifts that you can offer so that we can be complete. See, the Bible keeps referring to us as the body. And that's important to realize because, see, there's parts of our body that we don't think about that do really important things, right? Okay? See, like there's even parts like that we know of, like your kidneys, right? Okay? Now, how many of us ever really think about our kidneys? Not very often, do we? Do you know how important your kidneys are to your body, right? You don't think about it. You don't, you know, you don't get on the treadmill for your kidneys, right? You don't, you don't go run for your kidneys. But think about this. I mean, think about the parts of your body that you don't often think about but are vital to the body existing. And here's what we are referred to as the body of Christ. Now, if you think that you're not able to use your gifts, then you're selling yourself way short. And you might say things like, well, I can't preach or teach, and I'm terrible with kids. Okay, I want to tell you a really old story as we kind of wrap up here in a few minutes, but but it takes place a long time before the story of Jesus that we see. And in Exodus chapter 3, there's this interesting thing that happens, that God's people have been enslaved. They've been entrapped for for 400 years in in Egypt. And and what's going to happen is God's going to free. He's going to answer the cry of the people that are in need, and he's going to answer the call. But he needs somebody to actually go and speak on his behalf to Pharaoh. And and so he picks this guy named Moses. Now, hopefully you're familiar with Moses. Moses is the guy connected to the Ten Commandments we talked about earlier. And so there's this moment in the story. We think of Moses as this big, larger-than-life character, this big, larger-than-life aura. But what you have to understand is at the very beginning of Moses, when he becomes Moses, he doesn't want to be Moses. 
He doesn't. He doesn't want to do it. And in fact, there's a whole chapter in the Bible of him arguing with God about why he shouldn't be the person to go. It's this interesting idea when you think about it, because Moses is hesitant. But the other thing I think about this is God's going to do what God's going to do. He wants to use Moses just like he wants to use you. But here's the thing. If Moses had said no, don't think that God's going to be like, well, I guess I can't free the people now, right? He would have found somebody else. But it's this idea of he wants to use people. And so it gets to this point in the story where you can just tell, I mean, as you read the chapters, Pastor, you can tell that just God's getting a little bit frustrated with him, all right? And Moses finally says, what if the people of Israel don't believe me? What if Pharaoh doesn't believe me? What if they don't believe that it's God? I mean, come on, let's be honest. You walk into Egypt, you said, God said, okay? Tomorrow, go to your work and said, God told me yesterday, and see how people look at you, all right? And so he's got this, this thing going on. And so finally, God just says to him in verse 2, and I love this verse. He says this, what is in your hand? Now, let's hold on there for a second. The Lord just says to him, what's in your hand? And it's like this moment. And so what we know at this point is that Moses is a shepherd. And so he's got a rod in his hand. Now, in a minute, he's going to call it a walking stick, but it's his shepherd's crook. And this is a tool that he uses. This is something that he knows how to use. It's something valuable to him. He's getting older at this point, so I'm sure it's also helpful in walking up this mountain that he's walking up. But it's just a rod. It's just a stick. Now, it's valuable to him because it's his, but nobody else would see this stick as something that has value and worth necessarily. And God answers, Moses answers God, and he said, it is my walking stick. See, to Moses in this moment, what he's carrying, what he's holding doesn't seem that important. It also doesn't seem relevant to what God's going to do. And see, I think this is where some of us fall into a trap. We don't think that what we have to offer back is very relevant or important. And so God just says to him in verse 3, he says, well, just throw it down. It's interesting when he says that because I often think sometimes we have to throw down the things that we hold most dear. And the Bible tells us that he throws it down on the ground and it becomes a snake. And the Bible says that Moses ran from the snake and I would have too. I hate snakes. The Bible says that he simply threw it down. Now, let's ask some questions. See, anytime you read the Bible, you should start asking some questions about some of this weird stuff that takes place. And here's one of the things that you have to ask the question of. Okay, was it really the rod and the staff or the walking stick that was important? Or was it Moses' willingness to lay it down and what God could do with it? Does that make sense? See, it wasn't necessarily, there was no special powers in the rod or the staff, right? And it wasn't like Moses accidentally had grabbed a snake and been carrying a snake around for a while, right? You know, it wasn't that. It wasn't about the staff as much as it was about Moses' willingness to lay down the staff and what God could do with that staff. It reminds me of this amazing, weird story in the New Testament where Jesus, and there's this story we've talked about before. It's just like this unbelievable story where there's this crowd of 5,000 people, and they have to feed them lunch, and they have nothing to do. And so they find this little boy with two fish and five loaves of bread, and all of a sudden now Jesus prays over this fish and these loaves of bread, and all of a sudden, like, it just multiplies. And there was nothing magical or special that we know of about the fish and the bread. It was about the boy's willingness to give that up 
and what God could do with what he was willing to give up. And so maybe the question we have to ask of ourselves is, when it comes to offering back to the world and offering back to the kingdom and offering back to our church and to our fellow humans, maybe the question we simply just need to ask is, what's in your hand? Is it an instrument, a pen, a paintbrush, a computer, a hammer, a drafting board, a camera, some scissors? I don't know what it is. What's in your hand? What is it that God has already gifted you to do? What is it you're already holding that maybe what really needs to happen is you just need to lay that thing down and offer it back to God and see what God can do with it. Maybe it's not so much about the thing that's in your hand, it's about what God can do with the thing that's in your hand. See, every person in this room has a gift. That's what the Bible teaches us. In Romans, it talks about that we've all been given different gifts, and each of us can become, because of the grace of God, that he's given us these gifts, right? I mean, for example, um, some people can lead worship. Right? We have Nathan, and we have Natalie, and we have Penny, and we have Justin, and we have Bobby, and we have Rusty, and we have all these people that can sing. I can assure you that I cannot lead worship. And this church would look very differently if I tried. Now, Nathan and the band are, are great gifts, but what it is is they had these things that they could already do. It was already in their hands. And they just simply laid it down and offered it, and now it becomes this gift. For some of you, you think about, like, your personality as a gift. I mean, some of you are just nice people, and you may not think about it, but that is a commodity in this world, isn't it? Because there's a lot of not nice people. Some of you, your ability to listen is a gift. Because, see, we live in a world where people are just waiting for their turn to talk and share their opinion and tell you why they don't like what you just said, versus actually taking the time to listen to what somebody's actually saying and understand people. Or for some people, your patience is a gift, right? Your, your ability to set in frustrating situations and to wait it out, your ability to work with kids, right? Yesterday, I had um, two kindergartners and a first grader with me all day, and I took them to round one arcade. It was not a good idea. It just wasn't by myself. And I, I, these aren't my kids. I don't have these kids. And so I'm giving them their little cards. And as soon as I hand them their cards, I mean, they're just gone. And I'm just like, I'm going to have to call other parents and say, I lost your child. I don't know what, you know, but, but patience with kids, right? And see, I think one of the problems in the church is this, and in our church even, is we highlight stage gifts, right? And so like some of you, like you come in here week after week and you listen to me talk, right? And, and you sit there and you say, well, I couldn't do that. Well, you, you could probably if you tried, okay? I got... 20 years of doing this to where it seems like it's easy, but it's, it's not always. And, and some of you are like, well, I can't get up in front of people or I, I can't play an instrument. And, and see, here's the thing. You think that what I'm doing is being the church and doing ministry. Meanwhile, there are people all over this building doing things that if they weren't there, I can't be here and you wouldn't be here, Right. And so here's the thing. We, we highlight these gifts. We highlight the fact that I'm on, my, my daughter thinks I'm famous because I'm on YouTube. And I'm like, I promise you I'm not famous, right? She's like, she's, a couple weeks ago, she was like, 50 people watched that video. And I'm like, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty important, right? But here's the thing. I can't be on YouTube for 50 people right now if there's not people in the back watching my kids right now, right? There's going to be these things. And we talked last week about parenting. We need adults who are willing to invest, not only, and I don't say we need the word watch, but to invest in our kids back in the back. 
There's lots of ways to serve. I mean, here's the thing. You have gifts. You have talents. You have abilities. We need people to volunteer with our kids, with our youth, with our welcome team, with our first impressions team. We're starting some mission groups and some new mission partners, and we need people to partner in those things. We're starting small groups back up in the fall, and we need people to host those and facilitate those and be willing to do child care for those and willing to make food for those and do all kinds of things. We need people that can take care of this building. Like, we don't want to make church about a building because it's not about a building, but this is an old building, and we have lots of problems here, right? I see Steve O'Keefe. He's replaced, like, almost every floor in this building, right? And he still wants to replace more, right? We just built a new office for staff. They've been working around a table for, like, six years. And finally, I was like, you guys could have desks now. You know, it's okay, right? And, and so we need projects done around this. And listen, you guys have the gifts and the talents and the abilities to do those things. There's this, this great quote by Theodore Roosevelt, and I love Theodore Roosevelt. If you don't know Teddy Roosevelt, you should read more of his stuff and what he did. But he has this great quote. He says, do what you can with what you have where you are. Now, the other thing I want to say is, is that I don't want to make this just about church. Because I think one of the things that we can do and fall in the trap of is making serving just about here at church. See, the other thing you have to say is, what are your hands out there? See, some of you guys are teachers and carpenters and farmers and doctors and nurses and builders, and you're not just those things. You're the body of Christ. You're the light of the world in those contexts. It's about what you already have in your hands. Are you willing to lay those down and see what God can do with those things? It's about this idea of understanding the importance that we play as human beings, not only in this world, but what God's wanting to do in this world. See, a basketball in my hands is really sad, but, you know, Steph Curry or LeBron James at the World Championship. A guitar in my hands, and you will leave very quickly, but Aaron or Mark, and you've got some music. A marker or pencil in my hands, and you're going to get some cool-looking stick figures and a decent-looking tree, right? But in some of you guys' hands, you have art. In my hands, a hammer and nails is a trip to the hospital. But in your hands, it's a building, it's a gathering place, it's a new office for our staff. A group of my kids in my hands, and you've got parents really upset. But in your hands, you've got future leaders and problem solvers. The simple question is this. What's in your hands, not only here but out there? What can you contribute to the world? See, see Jesus calls us to love each other, and one of the best ways you can love someone is to serve them and to serve their kids and to meet the needs that they have because we all have needs at different times and different seasons. We all have gifts, and we need you. One of the ways that I look at church, and you may disagree with this, but this is just my take, is I'm not going to sit in a seat someone else paid for and let someone else watch my kids and not give back, right? We already have hundreds of amazing people who volunteer every week, and this place could not exist. You could not be in here without the hundreds of people every week that volunteer, but we need more. We need you. We need the gifts, talents, and abilities that you have. And so here's the question. What's in your hands? What do you have to give? What do you have to do? What can you lay down and see what God can do with it? And we have all kinds of different ways, and we make it as simple as possible for you. There's a card that some of you got, and some of you, I saw you. You intentionally did not look at the birds that handed out the card, and that's okay. But here's the thing. We need you. The next great leaders of this church, and I always say this about like this. I mean, the next great leaders of our church are probably sitting back there right now pooping and peeing on themselves, right? But they're the body of Christ, and we need them, and we need you to invest in them. We need you to welcome people when they come into the building. You know the scariest thing in the world 
is to walk into a space where you don't know anybody. And so we need people that can smile and be friendly and, and talk to people and make them feel welcome and show them where the coffee is and show them where their kids go and give them a free bag at the end. We need people that can help us take care of this building so that we can have people in here every week. So what's in your hands? So if you're ready to dive in, we're ready for you. So you just take that card, you fill it out, and someone will contact you. And I get some of you aren't ready, and you're new to this thing, and that's fine. We'll be waiting for you when you're ready. But even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others. And as the body of Christ, that's what we're called to. To love, to give, to serve. And so the only question I ask for you today is this. It's simple. What's in your hands? And what can you lay down that God can do amazing things with? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge that comes with it, God. And God, I thank you for every person that's here. I thank you for the people watching online. I thank you for the people back in the back right now working with our kids, our middle schoolers, our high schoolers, taking care of babies, making sure people feel welcome, making sure people feel safe. God, I thank you for all of that. I thank you for the men and women who have helped us make this building what it is. I thank you for all of these people that have served over and over again, God. And I pray that right now in some people in this room's heart that you're, you're asking things of them and you're challenging them to give, to contribute. And God, I don't want it just to be here. I want it to be everywhere. I, I want it to be in their workplaces. I want it to be in their neighborhoods. This idea for them to constantly be asking as contributors to the world that you want to see, as contributors to the kingdom that you want to build, what can we give? What can we do? How can we love each other well? How can we serve? And God, I pray that you inspire us to take the things that are already in our hands, the things we're already good about, the things we're already passionate about, the skills you've already given us, and just lay them down before you. So, Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the hope that it brings in us, and we thank you for the grace that you give us every day. In your son's name we pray. Amen.